Good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's episode of Hey Sister. So I'm getting a little feedback. That means somebody is playing Hey Sister on another device. So that means you got to mute that device or something. Y'all don't hear the feedback? Nope. It's just me? Okay, maybe I'm going crazy. It sounds like I was hearing feedback. But welcome to tonight's episode of Hey Sister. Hey, sister, how you doing? I'm doing good, sister. Can't right. complain other than, like I said, hitting my knee on the desk right before we got started. <laughs> well, we are so excited to have a guest with us tonight. We got a mister in the building. Woo! Yes. <laughs> so we're Get some masculine here. energy up in here. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about. So we're gonna uh jump in, but and always, y'all, make sure you like, follow, share, subscribe, tell folks about Hey Sister. You can find us on all the social media channels as you see up there. And um, and join the conversation in the comments. We want you to be involved in our conversation tonight. If you're tuning in live right now, let us know where you're tuning in from. And we 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 just welcome you tonight. And um, in typical Hey Sister fashion, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start off with some hot topics. Now, um, these hot topics were carefully curated because I guess tonight is, is a leadership expert. He does leadership development and training in his professional life. He is a, uh, he hosts the Life Athlete Podcast. And we wanted to get his take on some of these hot topics. So we're not going to do the full formal introduction, but just want you to know, like, that's kind of what motivated these hot topics tonight. So, hey, we got Jody tuning in. Hey, Jody. <laughs> and we got Janita tuning in. Hey, Geneva, tuning in here from Orlando, the city beautiful. And so uh, thank you all for watching. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple hot topics. So, Jody, I know since you're in the HR industry, this one probably is near and dear to your heart as well. So it's been about a week when the company better.com which is an online mortgage company their ceo laid off 900 employees via a zoom that was definitely heard all around the world um he made some pronouncements um about this was uh, the second time in his career he's having to do it. This was only a couple days after receiving a, a significant cash infusion from investors. And yeah, I, what do y'all think about, first of all, laying off people via Zoom? Good idea or not? I'm going to go with no. <laughs> <laughs> you said, uh, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, and, and, you know, when I think about it, though, sometimes every time this is an exercise that I, I've, I try to do more, but it's part of leadership development. But anytime you see something happen, it's the exercise of saying, why would someone do that? And even more specifically, why would a reasonable person do that? Mm -hmm. And the only thing I can come up with is. Maybe because we are so much in a virtual Zoom culture now 
that that maybe we've come to a point where we think that that's that's just the way we do business because we're doing other things. It, it makes me think that maybe he's been communicating other things this way uh, at that level. Uh, that's one thing. Or that maybe in that moment you were just either angry and emotionally distraught that you wanted to get this thing out and you you didn't really think thoroughly. Mm-hmm. But you know, I always think people do things for reasons. Um, yeah. and, and why would someone do that? Those are the only two things that came to my mind as far as why they would do that. But certainly if we look back at it, it just doesn't seem equitable uh, in the way that you treat people. Um, Yeah. Well, I see Jody has a lot of comments. So she's an (laughs) HR professional. First of all was like, where was HR? (laughs) Bad idea. Uh, Why would someone allow it? And now player, that's a negative. So I'm going to say this. I was laid off by a conference call. Myself and 200 other friends were laid off via conference call. And we didn't, so we were not video recording, but it was that same feeling as if you go on TikTok and search some of the videos, the feeling that the, the, the people had in that room, like, what? You know, um, their announcement was far better than his pronouncements. I mean, he didn't, they, they did not go on and accuse of a, a stealing or anything like that as he did and now then go on a hiatus. But it was a demeaning and demoralizing experience, especially having been with an organization for 11 years and having had just come from a leadership meeting and having just got up that early that morning to drive down the or Miami to meet with a sales rep to work with them that day to then, okay, when I get there, we're going to get on this conference call because we're having this company conference call. And then those of us who are on the phone are being let go. So I have experienced that firsthand. So when I saw this story, I was like, okay, it has just evolved and has continued to get worse. But there's such a disconnect, I find, in times, like you said, you would think someone in the room would say, we should not do this. This is not a good idea. But sometimes there's such a disconnect between leaders and the people who work in their stead that, you know, I've been, I was a victim of that in 2015. So I know that feeling. And I, if, if we had been able to record, you would have heard some choice words too from, <laughs> from folks. So I don't know. It, it, it's, it's a sad situation, I think. So so I, I wanted to jump in. <clears throat> I know I just said, no, you shouldn't do it. But um, I wanted to jump in because, you know, number one, it was 900 people. So uh, that was massive. And it, it to Alejandro's point, it, it feels like... Um, so we expect our leaders, I, I believe, to exercise a level of emotional intelligence and not just, you know, expertise or experience when it comes to the business aspects of a, of a job. And as the CEO of a company, not only do I not expect you to uh, fire 900 people in a conference or in a Zoom call, I also don't expect you to uh, accuse them of stealing time. And and basically go in on, on a rant about the fact that, you know, they haven't um, you've been recording them or you've been monitoring their 
uh, you know, calls and them being late for calls. Um, the one thing that I cannot stand when it comes to organizations is when they do not treat their employees who are full grown adults like such. If you have an issue or better yet, you're the CEO of the company. All 900 of these people do not are not your direct reports, I'm sure. So they have a management chain. How is it that as the CEO, you laid off 900 people because of their lack of productivity, according to you? And that's not a conversation that's had with their managers. That's not, a, you know, th that's where they, that's who they should have those conversations with, because those are the people who would know if they have not been producing. And I'm also just personally Zoom call or not. I'm just tired of this idea that you have to sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day, either in a building or at your house to prove that you're being productive. I, you know, I, I just had this conversation the other day and I was like, you know, going back to my very first professional job, you know, I had bosses who lauded one of my fellow engineers at the time when I was still working as an engineer, lauded my fellow engineer because he stayed, he was always at the office. But part of the reason he was always at the office is because he and his wife worked opposite shifts. So he didn't need to go home. She wasn't there. <laughs> So he could still do a whole bunch of stuff while he was sitting in the office. And it's like we laud people and we say, oh, you're, they they sat there and they worked so hard. No, everybody, just because you see them doesn't mean they're working hard. And just because they're sitting there doesn't mean they're being productive. So the fact that, again, this guy accused his these 900 people of stealing time, I think he has some other deeper issues, especially, again, I expect CEOs to have a little bit more emotional intelligence than that. Well, you guys, if you're out there, we dropped one of the articles about it. Go read the article. Jody has a real, she, she says here, I had to let go eight people around the state of Florida and I drove to each one of them. Um, and we deploy HR people from other states to help out with massive layoffs. And I think that's only the right thing to do. Um, but again, this is a, it, it is a online company. So I, I venture to say they probably never met any of these employees face to face, which is also problematic. I know we're trying to get to, we, we, um, we're on the meta platform, but I know that human connection still matters. It still matters. So another yeah. hot topic that I want to get into talking about human connections is our sorority sister, who <laughs> is Madam Vice President Kamala Harris, boss or bust, has been so much talk lately about her as a leader, about the chaos, the organized chaos, people leaving, people not being happy, her wearing wired headphones and not trusting Bluetooth for secure communication, her being in Paris and buying a pot. I mean, you name it, there's been a story about it. Some people saying, well, what is she doing? She's not doing nothing. She's not doing enough. She's doing too much. It's always something. And so I want to know, what is this about? Is she just a boss or is she a boss as a leader? So... I'm going to toss it to you first, Al, because you're smiling. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, some of this, uh, the danger of a lot of this, too, and, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is what people want to hear, but it, it, it's when somebody's that high profile, 
it's easy to just go ahead and take your jabs and say this and that. So it, I, I said we have to be careful. If we don't know all of the information, it's easy to create stories. Human beings, we are masters at interpreting things and interpreting them in ways that align with our narrative, our belief system, etc. And therefore, I, I just say proceed with caution as to what that does for you. Because if 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 it's creating a mood for you or dissension, whatever it is, a mood that's not productive in you, I would say in you doing what you need to do to be a better citizen, a better, a better parent, a better, then, then, then it's a problem. And we may not know everything. What I will say is that because she is a woman, Mm -hmm. there is more scrutiny and we need to be more careful men and women, because it's not just men, but men and women in, in not penalizing people when they don't meet our stereotype. Mm-hmm. And and I know for, for women, that is specifically hard in the workplace. And those are conversations we have to have with leaders all the time because there's this expectation of how you're supposed to be. And if you're not, it's a penalty. Um, so I just think she's in one of those positions where, hey, we're still learning, but everyone's going to throw in a jab because it's such high profile. And many people are just trying to confirm a story that they've made about her already. Mm-hmm. I, I've read the, or the article that we have here. All I just say is proceed with caution. And if you are critical, then you know, I always say, what, is, what does that teach you about you? Mm-hmm. Because maybe there's something that you can learn from that, if that is the case. That's a whole different way to look at it. <laughs> well, we got uh, Sunny LaBeouf said, and she's a, a, a lawyer. Uh, uh, we are generally perceived differently, dot, yeah. dot, dot, and question more, dot, 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 criticize more, dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. Uh, and yes, as a woman, uh, <laughs> and then Jody said, what did the other VPs do? Uh, I concur. I do believe there is more scrutiny for women, especially women of color. Um, yeah, so I think that it's, it's very interesting to me. We dropped one of the articles in here. We encourage you guys to go out there, read some of the other articles out there and, and draw conclusions for yourselves. But I do know one thing for sure, for all of us, we need to hold all our elected officials accountable. So if we're going to hold her accountable, they got some others that we need to hold to account as well. Great point. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, again, so... <laughs> Come on, sister. What you got to say? Let me get my water. Well, number one, Jody, Jody stole my thunder because I was exactly about to say, first of all, I need the average American to name for me the last few vice presidents that we've had. And then <laughs> tell me what they did. Because all, all I know Mike Pence did was try not to die on January 6th. Um. All I know that Joe Biden, Joe Biden did. Joe Biden. <laughs> Joe Biden did a lot. He was in a lot of meetings. He was definitely in a lot of meetings. <laughs> I mean, he was definitely in a lot of meetings. Joe Biden. Joe I, Biden told uh, Obama, this is a big effing deal on national TV. <laughs> On the right. Hand. Well, that's what I was going to say. Joe Biden was, we had to watch him and be like, hold on, Joe. Don't say too, don't say too much. <laughs> we ain't there yet. Uh, he is the black president. You can't just be. I know you. You accustomed to just coming out the gate how you want. Uh, I mean, 
what the bushes i mean like who what did anybody do as a vice president dan really? quail he he he, he dan quail. i ran contra in the situation i thought he was over there spelling potato spelling potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> okay trying to tell the children how to spell stuff and spelling it wrong so i think um so i guess two things number one generally what do the vice presidents do typically they are not i mean they're not given a whole bunch of responsibility because they are not the president of the united states they are the vice president and their role in my opinion should be more as an advisor um to the president and uh having a and, and if they have a strong working relationship then that too should be the most important thing. The second thing is, you know, from the story that you you posted, you know, not a healthy environment. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever worked in an unhealthy work environment. I mean, I'm like, who does it? <laughs> I'm, I mean, I tell me when we got the tell me about the environment that is healthy then I'm going to go work there. Because I, I feel like across the board, regardless of industry, regardless of, you know, level of expertise or skill set, many work environments are toxic because of the nature of the fact that they are work environments and, and that we live in a capitalistic society and we're not out here working for the greater good of society. We are usually working to make money and different things like that. So um, I think it's just interesting that there's a um, amplification or we're shining a light on this quote unquote toxic work environment when I feel like there are a lot of them. Mm. So. Yeah, well, we have a comment here says she does a lot behind the scene, a lot of behind the scene things. They're not supposed to be front and center. He's the CEO. Um, unhealthy over here. <laughs> there. Another one said our CEO takes all the credit for our ideas too. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you speaking of toxicity and work environments and actually um, really negative. Um, you brought this story to light, sister, so I'm going to let you set it up. Operation Blooming Onion. So if y'all like onions, if y'all go to the, y'all like them Blooming Onions, or you you like them Vidalia Onions, sister, tell us about this story, and I'm going to drop the link in the chat. I mean, I guess in a nutshell, so of course, I'm working on my documentary, Thibodeauville, and because of it, uh, you know, the series of labor issues that we are seeing in today's society, they always sort of resonate with what we're working on from this documentary from the 1800s. And it's it's often this question of, wow, how far have we really moved from those supposedly way back times? So this story came out on December 3rd. I guess there was a federal indictment that was unsealed and it was basically about migrant workers in southern Georgia who were being forced to pick onions with their bare hands for 20 cents or so a bucket or something like that. Um, and in, a, in some sort of, um, I, I guess, just very high profile um, human trafficking situation. Uh, where basically all of their identification and um, was stripped from them, and they're forced to work all, you know, in very inhumane um, situations. Um, some of them have been 
subject to rape. And it, it, it sounds like it's a very awful situation. And so um, I hate to not only hear about some, something like this or read about something like this, but the fact that this, these, are the, these are not the stories that are being brought to light. And when we're talking about Kamala Harris's not toxic work environment, no, this this is a toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. This is an illegal work environment, actually. Mm-hmm. And so these are the kind of stories that I think as consumers, we need to know more about because we should know if people are being treated inhumanely in order to bring food to our table. So that's that's the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad and shocking. And I know Al, you you when we were talking about this in the pre-show preparation, you this kind of it hit you in a little different way. So share share your your what you were sharing before with the audience tonight. Yeah, what I want to express here is that this is just one. I'd say if you see this one thing, that means that there's a whole bunch that you don't even know about. As they say, I think in, in the farming, when I worked at, at, at a farming company, they say, if you, if you see one rat, that's 100 you didn't see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you saw that one. And when you look at the exploitation, I think that's the point that you're making here, Christina, that as an undocumented immigrant, I, we came to this country that way. And the feeling is you're coming here for a better opportunity. That That's what you believe. And, and when you come here, all you're trying to do is, is survive and make it. And therefore, you can be easily exploited because you have very little options. And and that's where the danger is, because you have people who are, like you were saying earlier, maybe not concerned about individuals. They're concerned about, hey, how much money are we going to make? And I I made the point that I've met people here where I live who work at at a major company and have had a job, a, a custodial job that is done after hours or before hours, they work from 4 a.m. to like 10 a.m. cleaning up the restaurant before it opens. And this guy has worked there 11 years. Now he's bringing his family or he's got cousins and friends and they're offering to pay him the money for everyone else who I guess doesn't have their social security numbers yet. There, there's a lot of things there. And I don't want to skip over the fact that you know maybe they, they shouldn't be here if they're here undocumented. That, that's a whole nother narrative. The point is how are you thinking of an individual as a human being and the value that they have and how you treat them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, and maybe we'll talk about this later when, when, when we get a little bit deeper, but if you don't have the moral character strength, then that decision is, is, is something that you can put it like this. You will not have trouble making a decision to do that. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any moral character strengths, because all you're thinking about is, hey, it's a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And whenever that is the case and you can minimize people to subhuman levels, then that's when we're in danger. And we can look at every example of, of genocide that this world has seen and it goes down to that blueprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I would venture to say it starts at the level where we talked about with our first hot topic, being able to. I'm just going to let all of you go on this call and I'm going to give myself a $25 million raise after I've just gotten a $750 million infusion of cash. I'm going to accuse you of stealing time 
because you didn't put in the so many um, hours or some days you only worked this number of hours. And then I'm going to say, but there's a, a cup, but there's some of y'all that this doesn't apply to. So if you don't think it apply to you, then call us and we can see about getting you reinstated. What? Mm. What? So callousness, callous, say it for me, calluslessness, being callous, how about that? Uh, and treating people with less than dignity. Right. It's at all levels. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, yeah, it, it's at all levels. So it, it's at all levels, but there is something deeply troubling for me where we do not understand that, you know, look, I, I understand businesses are in business to make money. Um. But this need and this greed and this desire to have more, 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 it's like, how many more billionaires do we have to have? And at the expense of how many other folks who are going to be in abject poverty? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, how much, like you and I have talked about before, how much more stuff do we need? Um Hmm. that has no real value in this case we absolutely need food but um how again how do we how do we look at um how do we look at immigrants trying to come in, in into this country for a better life and tell them no you're not deserving of this life here and then when they come here we say okay well you can come as long as i can exploit you as long as I can take advantage of you, that feels really, I, I don't know. I guess I have higher expectations for humanity and I, I maybe I, I shouldn't. I don't know. That's the frustration. Oh, well, child, we got, we, we could go deep and philosophical even further, but we got to really get into the heart of the matter for tonight. And that's yes. Miss Alejandra Cornejo. So I'm not going to read your bio per se. I want you to tell us your story. So I told you all, he's a leadership professional um, and he is host of a podcast and we go way back, like he said, like reclining chairs. So um, I want you to tell us your story. And you, you mentioned your family story a little bit. So just tell us all of your story, how you got here, how you wound up at Xavier, the whole thing. Well, first of all, yeah, thank you, thank you for having me, and for all the listeners out there. Maybe what I want to do is is make this connection to you because it, it is about you spending your time here with us. And I, I, what I like about stories is that we can put ourselves in them, or that's the value. Is how do we put ourselves in that in those stories, and what can we learn from those stories? For me, it starts. What I want to share here is the with the opportunity or at least the dream that my mother had. Mm -hmm. So I'm an El, from El Salvador, born and, and, and raised there until I was nine years old, which is a Central American country. Sometimes I have to tell people like where it is, right below Mexico, you have Guatemala, then you have El Salvador. And, uh, you know, was born in to an affluent family on my father's side. And when my parents divorced, though, I, I, we were disowned by my father mm. and therefore my mother had to fend for herself, got, received no support. I haven't talked to my father since I was six years old. So when they got divorced, my mother had to 
hey, she had a vision of how can we have a better life? And a civil war had just begun. So some of my early childhood was hearing bombs and, and AK-47s, M-16s, and having lights go out, having no water for two weeks, things that happened in a civil war. And my mother's thinking, all right, how do I get my kids out of something like this? So I just remember one day she says, hey, we're going to go to the United States. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is good. This is so awesome. Because you, here's the thing you want to remember is that every other country, a lot of the other countries, especially I can speak for Central America, you look to the United States as, man, that is it. And I've talked to other friends, people from India, people from the Philippines. It's all about coming here because there's this perception that the United States is, man, is the land of milk and honey and there's money on the streets and you, you, you can be anything you want. So there's this. And remember, we're indoctrinated by all the programs, the movies. We get all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to be here. So I'm all totally excited. Now I think, what, what are you thinking, mom? I mean, how crazy was, was that? So she, she leaves with two young kids, nine and 11 years old, in a series of buses, you know, the coyote. The coyote is the guy you pay mm-hmm. to get you in. And they have all these tricks and all these ways to, to get to the places. And by God's grace, nothing happened to us. We didn't, my mom wasn't attacked sexually. We weren't, we weren't taken for ransom or anything like that. But we made it through. I remember going through a barbed wire fence. I didn't ever have to get wet. So when people used to call me a wetback and all that, I was like, nah, I didn't swim, Holmes. <laughs> I didn't have to get wet. We went, I went through this barbed wire fence. It was, a, it was like a sewer tube that went over the river at that point. But I remember making a run. They just said they would send you one by one. And then when you get over, you, this is at night, probably around 10, 11 o'clock at night. As soon as you hit here, the coyote said, just hit. Just run to that building over there. And I remember the first thing when I got to that building, it was a YMCA building. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, this is just like the song. Oh, my, this is so cool. YMCA. (laughs) But what I realized, too, is that once we were in, there were people that were on the other side, on the American side, Americans. You know what? At the time, to me, they were just like the, the gringos, these white Americans that were where we would stay in some of these houses. And I'm assuming they were getting kickbacks, but there were like the Americans we would see on TV, John Wayne looking folks. And, but I remember seeing that and thinking, why, why are they, why are they, why are we staying at their house? Why are they helping us or whatnot? But eventually we made it to LA where my mom had, had cousins and we lived in an apartment, two bedroom apartment uh, where there were already seven people. So there are about 10 of us in a two bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it was that kind of a, of a struggle, right? But I always think of my mother's vision. And she would, this is the power of words and sharing a vision that she would keep telling us, hey, this is a place where you can make it. If you work hard here, you can make it. And she was selling that vision. She told me later, hey, I didn't even know that myself. I was just telling you something because I had to keep you motivated. Mm-hmm. But when we were in LA, there were gangs where we lived, there were gangs it was just not the right neighborhood. People getting stabbed. and I mean, it, it was just not a good environment. But I credit my mother's vision for continuing to say, hey, this is this is what we need. We ended up moving to Arkansas. We went to L.A. where where my friends were Smokey and Wolf and these kind of colorful names to Arkansas. Then to St. Louis. That's where I went to high school. And I ended up at Xavier Historical Black College because I had gone to other schools, even Wash U here, which is a very a prominent university. But here was the difference. I went to a college fair 
And I still remember it was a light skinned lady. I don't know what her name was. I thought she was really good looking at the time. She had green eyes, this light skinned lady. And, and she was so nice to me. And, and, you know, I'm Latino, right? Uh, and I know now Xavier has more Latino students. HBCUs have those now. But at that time, that wasn't the case. But she was so nice. And she told me, you need to come to Xavier. And she asked me, what's your SAT score or whatever? And she said, oh, with that, you can get you can get a full ride. And I said, really? And yeah, I'm thinking, what can we afford, right? Because my mom didn't have those kind of resources. So, and then I and then I visited and I fell in love with it. I, I, I knew immediately, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. And I guess to say along the way, you know, some people ask, well, why'd you go to a black college? Well, all through, I would say middle school and high school, for some reason, I, I gravitated toward black people. And I don't know if it was because I, I, I got into hip hop earlier, but I think even a, a bigger reason was I could relate more, mm-hmm. at least to people who were in, in my social class. Um, and we had some of those same struggles. I really didn't relate to, to, to the white people as much as I related to black people. So that's why even in Public Enemy, I felt it was a, they spoke a little bit for me too, being an immigrant, seeing how my mother was treated coming here and my mother had education but she was treated as someone assumed that she didn't know much mm-hmm. oh, can you say that again i don't understand what you're saying or like oh you like, oh you went to college or you know you had a toilet i mean it, it was things like that mm-hmm. um so going to xavier for me also was just a learning opportunity because i i at that point i had only met only even i would say certain types of, of, of people, especially black people. And that was my first time seeing affluent black people, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm like, wow, that was my first time. Cause in my neighborhood or who I grew up with, we didn't see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just such a huge learning opportunity and just the, the, the friendships. I was so embraced. I never felt like an outsider. Mm-hmm. That was the, the, the other thing too. It's like, I never felt like an outsider. I felt that I was part of that community without even having to change myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that that's that's my foundation as far as how I ended up there. Music was certainly a, a, one of my loves so that maybe that was the affinity as well, because I really related to hip hop, being a DJ and then being in a group. That's that's also something that, that where I learned a lot in. But it, it was just a great learning experience that to this day, I, I think is something that God I mean, I'm a man of faith that God put in my life and it has given me just it has it has given me so much uh, that foundation because I, I really feel that I have a broad base of understanding of a lot of different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my story getting, get, getting to Xavier. And if you have other questions as far as my career, I can certainly answer, but that's a, a microcosm uh, of, of how I ended up there. Well, you know, and so I see, um, and if y'all out there, if y'all have questions, you could drop them in the chat too, or you want to send some love. So again, like I said, we go back to summer program, like right fresh out of high school. This dude was so cool. Like, you know, (laughs) he just, I don't, why did you not smile? Why would you? I mean, it wasn't just you. It was like all of y'all. Y'all just was trying to be so hard. You're trying to be so hard. Your NWA was, you know, real popular. <laughs> but you know what? I, I will say this, and maybe this is. Um, were, were you with us when we went to see um, Boys in the Hood? Because the movie Boys in the Hood came out that summer, and we all caught the bus and went down to uh, the Joy Theater. The Joy. Oh yeah, no, nah, I, w- I went with another group. 
But I was, I, I think I went with, with, uh, it was some other classmates, but yeah, no, I, I didn't go with that group. You, you know, I, I, the way I answer this, and maybe again, our listeners can relate to this. And one of the important things that I share is that, that, that we go through a learning process in understanding who we are. Mm-hmm. And the more that, that we reflect and understand who we are and embrace who we are, the sooner we can shed and get rid of the conformity or the forces that try to make you somebody you are not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a process. I think, I think you can do it when you're younger, but you need that. You need coaching. Hey, you need coaching as an adult, but mm-hmm. understanding who you are reflecting on, Hey, what are my gifts? What is my personality? What do I have to give? Because I think it starts there, right? If you have a gift it's really for, for the benefit of others. And when you discover that, then you can flow more easily in your gifts. But it, it's a learning process because first you're thinking about yourself of how can I fit in? How can I be light? Um, and sometimes it's a deception because you're trying to be something you're not and you can never be something you're not. And I see even many adults trying to be something you're not because of, of the pressures of culture or parents or siblings or coworkers, whatever it is that, that drive you there. So I think breaking free from that is one of the one of the crucial elements, I would say, in your own personal development and really uh, succeeding in your life, having fulfillment in your life. Yeah, we're going to talk about faith, family and fulfillment. There's a well, first, Sarah Golf says NWA <laughs> equals no smiling. <laughs> Man. And then Keisha said, how did we reconnect or did we never lose touch? Love's. Love still remaining friends with old classmates history. So you want to tell us, I'm going to let you tell a story. You the guess. You tell the story. How did we reconnect, Al? I want to, well, you, you're doing similar work and I would see your, your posts on, on Instagram and Facebook. So I would, I would like, and I would say something, but then you reached out to me. You get the credit for that. Cause you said, Hey, homecoming's coming up and it was virtual. This is the COVID year. And you said, can you DJ for us virtually? And I said, all right, yeah. So then that, that got us going again. But it, it was good. I mean, sometimes you need that catalyst to to get things connected again. But yeah, it was and it was fun DJing, coming back, getting on the ones and twos. <laughs> <laughs> turntable number one, turntable number two. Yeah, so I, I was like, okay, I need you first to do a Class of 95 playlist because it was our right. reunion year. Do a Class of 95 playlist. All the songs you used to play at all the parties. So we did us a playlist. And then I was like, I need you to do virtual DJ set. And um, we had paid for, for that evening for a nationally reputable DJ. And I was like, we could have just let Al play the whole time because <laughs> that nationally reputable DJ no, nationally. was whack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say that. I'll leave that alone right there. But you, and, you know, and I will say, I mean, I will mention maybe for that question out there, I'm always thinking of, of how I can help you. But I say in life, any kind of assessment that you can make, I, I, I saw this once called a red a stoplight assessment, where the red light is these are some people that you maybe need to put a stop on. That you know what, there's some people in our life that we probably don't need right now, where it, it's a red light because the, the, it's toxic, it's negative, it's not it's not helping anything. 
Mm-hmm. Then there are yellow light people, which is transition. You know, some people are going to come in your life maybe as a catalyst. They may be there for a season and whatnot. And then you have you know, the green light, which could be maybe even some, some longer term relationships or maybe new mentorships or even rehashing old ones. The skill is in being able to understand where to, to, to be in these relationships. And I think people come in and out of our lives in, in different moments and, in this situation here, I mean, it just works perfectly because we're in a similar space. We, we share some of the same visions and goals, I would say. But that's the intentionality in stopping to think, because most of the time we're just working, we're doing things and we're not thinking about our relationships and relationships change. Mm-hmm. I was just sharing. I mean, I, I shared that in a podcast where you know my daughter, when she turned 13, she was no longer the little girl anymore. And, I, and I'm still having to adjust to that and having to understand that, that I can't deal with her. Like I, I dealt with her when she was a little girl. Mm-hmm. So, and I think with a lot of our relationships is thinking strategically about who is in our life. How are we engaging with those people and, and, and how are we serving within those, within those relationships? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that is a great I love that red light assessment and that that's that that's so very powerful because my sister and I we talk about that a lot in terms of relationships and when 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 some come to their natural conclusion how to be okay with just kind of letting yeah. them go. Um and then it doesn't mean you won't go back. It just right. means that this 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 season for season. that relationship has ended. Um so tell us a little bit about your professional pivots along the way because you you know you know, this dude, this, like, him and his boys, like, okay, they, they do have an album. They did do an album while they were, y'all was still at Xavier, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, Al was known, he was scratching. What y'all see D-Nice doing? Like, Al <laughs> yeah, was doing right. that back in 91. He was opening right. that Spring Fest and all of that stuff. And he was, you know, hitting, hitting it with, uh, you know, known folks in the industry. Um, you was doing it, but you know, you were, you had some professional pivots along the way. So tell yeah. us about your, your pivots. Yeah. You, you know what? I, I, I'll go back to starting first of all, with a passion and in the beginning thinking though, that I couldn't pursue it. There was still this, this trepidation that I couldn't do this professionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, had I, had I, where I, if I could do it again, I would change some things, but I will say that we gave it a shot. Like we, after college, I took two years off, two, three years off to pursue getting a record deal. And I invested a lot of money, my time, effort, travel, trying to get a record deal because I thought, hey, this is this is this is it. I loved it so much. I, and I still consider myself an artist. This is still performance. But when that didn't happen, that's that's that was an inflection point because I realized, hey, Chris said, hey, man, I got to go back to school. He went back to grad school and said, we, we, I can't do this anymore, right? It was not sustainable. So at that point, I had to make a choice. I still, though, thought I can still do it in this music thing. I just pivoted from being a performer to getting on the business side, getting mm-hmm. on the marketing and on, on the promotion on the business side and, and was able to do it. I was successful, started my own business, marketing company here locally, but then worked for a company that was hiring us to do a lot of the work in Chicago. And when I got there, that's where I, I, I learned more about working in a startup and there was no HR. <laughs> I mean, you're working with with eight or nine other startup, nobody older than 30. 
it was it was the wild west in in the music <laughs> industry. So not in the music industry. So you have artists coming in. You got Lucky coming in from who who at the time was Twisters. He owned the label. You know, coming in just you know with a wad of money and say, "Oh, oh y'all need per diem," and he's just like hitting people off with like hundreds. <laughs> and then you got. Fat Joe's manager threatening to kill you because hey, my record ain't getting played, money. If when I come there, I'ma see you. And then Dame Dash, like going off on people on conference calls. That was, I mean, that was my world, right? Um, so you realize, man, is this how it is for people? You get cussed out on conference calls by <laughs> and 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 threatened to kill you if you're not playing the record. So you know, you're thinking something has to change here. And at the time, I I uh I had met my my ex-wife now um, in that lifestyle. I mean, just the travel, the you're working late into the night clubs. I realized I had to make a shift. And that's another piece, right? You have to make a decision based on at that point. I wasn't thinking as thoroughly as, as I probably would do now. But I realized I can't do this. And I also grew I, disenfranchised with it because I saw like we were talking about earlier how people were being treated. Mm-hmm. how women sometimes were treated in the industry, how, how uh, people I, I saw were like a means to an end. Mm-hmm. I, I really saw that where it, it was about getting the, the, the spin, getting the, getting the play, whatever. And, and it, it really, it, it was not good. I said, I need to get out. And I got out and I got into, into state government. I worked for the Illinois department of employment security, which was a total shift. And, I, and what I would say about that is sometimes you need to break away. Mm-hmm. Totally, and do something totally different because it put me in a whole different headspace. It, I had to learn new skills. It put me in. In I had to meet new people. I had to get uncomfortable. Um, di- different lifestyle altogether. But along that process too, I realized, hey, this is still not exploiting my gift or the gifts mm-hmm. that I have. And as I started having more conversations with HR people, I kept asking questions. Like, hey, what do you do? And, and how do you spend most of your time? Like, what what, what do you need at, at this company? And then I realized, oh, you know, maybe I need to get an HR. Mm-hmm. And that's how I was able to pivot, got into HR, but not still in the development piece. It was more in the management piece. But when I discovered development, emotional intelligence, leadership development, that's when I knew I was in my niche because I was always into the development component. But that's really when, when I came alive. And I said, I think many of you, if you've been, in that situation where you finally feel like you're be- you're like you're alive in your job. That's how I felt early on in the music industry where you're excited, where you're going to work and mm-hmm. and and you're glad it's Monday. Mm-hmm. That 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 that's where you want to be because that's where you're going to really be productive, innovative, and that's where you're going to impact people. So mm-hmm. for me it, it took some turns and some and some questions and I'm still growing. I mean the the other side is, you know, the, the last pivot here is at what point do I want some of my own autonomy? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes people refer to it as the corporate plantation. Mm-hmm. Because I realized, too, that there's still some some calls I can't make. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I want to walk away, right, I, I still need the job. I need the income. So mm-hmm. I, I believe that if if we think this way, we also have to think, hey, what am I building for myself and my family, my heirs, my legacy? Um, beyond this job. And I'm, I'm thankful for the job. Don't, do not get me wrong. I love what I do, but I'm also thinking, of, Hey, what am I building in the event that someone gets on a conference call and <laughs> tells me, Hey, you're done. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's just the world that we live in. If you work for a corporation whose job is in existence to create value for shareholders, you must understand that at any given time, you can be fired. Because if the bottom line is not being met and they think that you're part of that result, then then guess what? You have to be ready for that. Absolutely. And sometimes they don't even have to think that you're not part of that result. That's right. I mean, that's the thing about at will employment. That's right. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. You just, they need to cut it. Right. That song. Right. <laughs> they need to cut it. You know, like, yeah. But but I think you got to you have to come to that realization for yourself so that you're not. It's still going to hurt. But some people oh, I was loyal. You know, it's still about the bottom line, but they should have dignity in the way that they do it. I think that's the difference. In employers, mm-hmm. if there's a sense of dignity and respect for people, um, so and obviously in these examples we saw earlier, that wasn't there. Absolutely. Well, you are tuned in to Hey Sister. We are live with one of our misses. This has been a great conversation so far, Mr. Alejandro Cornejo, classmate of mine and dear friend. Also, also, yes, uh, <laughs> podcaster and development leadership specialist, motivator, motivational speaker, all of the things. So, Christine, I'm going to toss it to you for a question. Well, before we get to a question, I, I just have to say, like, uh, I feel like I'm kindred spirits with all of these professional pivots here. <laughs> uh, man, I, I've had quite a few um, of my own. I guess uh, my question, um, you, you mentioned coming out of college. So wait, let me be clear. You were also, were you also biology pre-med? Biology well? pre-med, yeah. Okay. So how did you, you know, um, come to terms with this idea that you went to college for this thing and you were trained to do this thing, but now you don't really want to do this thing? How did you come to terms with making that first big pivot? Because you got the degree in hand but now you're not going to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I, I think that that's, it was difficult because immigrants, you know, immigrant mentality, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some tidbits on, I, I, I can speak for me, a, a lot of my peers, a lot of immigrant mentality is we're doing it for our parents because my mom sacrificed, right? You know, my mom left dental school, like one year left and then was cleaning toilets, mm-hmm. cleaning houses, you know, being talked down to a lot of times, had to start over again. Um, so she sacrificed. And, and for a lot of us immigrants, we almost feel like we owe it. And it sometimes I have to be careful when when I say, hey, you know, you, you technically don't owe your parents uh, because sometimes that, that's a limiting. It can get manipulative there. Yeah. So but but, you know, my mother was was an understanding person because she said, well, what, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm gonna work with Jello, mom. <laughs> that was this guy in Chicago. You know the, the hip hop name. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work with Jello and Big Money. And she's <laughs> like, oh my god. But you know what? I had a plan, and I think that, that that helped. That I said, look, I'm gonna do this. I have this plan to do it. And she saw the blood, sweat, and tears that I was putting into it. It's not like I was sitting at home eating Doritos, right? I, I, I mean, I was out traveling. I was, and in the meantime, when I was home, I was substitute teaching so I could make money to to go to the studio, but. At some point, you know, I realized before I even graduated that I remember going to an internship program in Kansas State University, and I'll never forget it. I worked with this guy named Dr. Boyle, and he said, Alejandro, do you know what just happened? Yesterday, we were able to isolate 
protein 4580 from the bovine eye, which lets us know that this protein now can be seen and identified for the project that we've been working on. And I'm sitting there and I remember thinking, I'm just not that excited about it. You know what I mean? And I said, but what I am excited about is this weekend, I'm going to get to spin at this party. <laughs> right. And I got this new record and I got this new beat I made. And that's when I realized that if I'm going to do something in my life, that that's that sparked the, the 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 thought that I need to be engaged and I need to love it because I respected how much he loved what he was doing. Mm-hmm. That was the learning there that I realized, oh, to be successful, you really have to be engaged with what you're doing. You have to love it or you have to, otherwise you'll quit. Yeah. And so for me, I realized that then, and that's when I started planning because here it is, truth be told, I hope none of my old advisors would ever see this, but the next year I applied for a very prestigious program at NYU. And the only reason I did it was because I would be in New York and I would be able to make, I would go to record labels. I I would be like where hip hop is happening. And I ended up getting that internship, which was very competitive. But my reason was not so I could become a researcher. It was about, (laughs) hey, each day I'm going to be working and meeting who I need to meet to get to the next level. And I I, I think that, you know, uh, so again, someone who has had a bunch of shifts. Uh, you know, I graduated in a civil engineer. I worked as a civil engineer for three years until the day came that I decided I didn't really want to do that anymore. Um, and, you know, kind of to your point, it was more like, no, I don't ever want to do this again. Not just, <laughs> not just tomorrow. Like, I don't right. ever want to do ever. this again. So, uh, but I knew I just couldn't quit at that moment. And then, yeah. so I activated the plan, ended up going to graduate school, um, got my MBA and then that set me on a different path. But even that path, like you, I took a job to move to Los Angeles. It was a great job, but I was getting paid nothing. And I'm like, looking back, I'm like, how the hell did I even survive? But I did, um, because I loved what I was doing at that Mm. time. But to your point, you know, the business changes Mm -hmm. and sometimes you're like, you know, I loved this when I started. But not only have I changed as a person, this business has changed. Mm-hmm. But then to be in, in full transparency, my company did divorce me. I, I often tell people that, like, no, I didn't leave them. They left me. And it was <laughs> one of those opportunities, not opportunity, one of those situations where, yeah, you think somebody cares about your loyalty. They don't. They don't. Uh, <laughs> they, they don't care about how hard you work because you're sitting there like, but what about all of these projects I was right. working on that you told me were so important? And they're like, nope, you can leave your computer right here. Right. <laughs> right. Don't worry about it. Um, but it's in the same way, I, I believe, like I live in Arizona now. I believe God moved me to Arizona for the purpose of being able to save money so that I could do some of the things that I really enjoy doing, like making my movie and uh, my documentary. And I think in the same way, God probably moved you to New mm. York, even though, look, you had to go, why you had to go, you had to go for this internship, but he moved you there so that it could allow you to to pursue the things that you really wanted to mm. do. So. Yeah. 
I know I, I just had to affirm that because <laughs> and, and, and see that's and I would say that's the thing that with age because young people sometimes tell me hey well, you know what 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 do I do like what what's my purpose what's my calling and I think with age the advantage you have is you can connect more dots mm-hmm. early on you can't connect as many and you know my, my encouragement is hey try stuff though Mm-hmm. You know, try yeah. some things. If you if you feel an affinity towards something, try it. Step out there. It's gonna be hard. You may be uncomfortable, but try it first. If you really if you really love it, and see what you get. The thing is, you have to be observative, and you have to pay attention, and you have to reflect and see. Okay, what am I getting out of this? Because then that can open up the 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 doors for the next thing. Um, but but. The value of, of, of when you're older is you can connect more dots. If you're younger, you just, hey, keep connecting what you have, but step out and try some stuff just to see how it feels and, and, and where it's taking you. Yeah. Right. Well, Keisha well, used the term here in the comment, the audacity. So you have mm-hmm. the audacity to do all of those things. And, and yes, you, some of it takes a little bit of audaciousness um, and, and one of the other key things you said was that you always was like, okay, oh, that was the learning. I thought it was this at that time, but this was the learning. Now that I've reflected mm-hmm. back on it, now how can I use that learning for the next, for the next step? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is powerful. Um, sister, you're about to say something, and then I want to talk about faith, family, and fulfillment. Yeah, I was just gonna add that um, <clears throat> you know, like you were saying, you tell young people. And, and it doesn't even have to be young people. I remember I, I, I spoke right. to a classroom room of young people about my particular journey. Like I said, when I decided I woke up and I was like, I don't want to go to work today. No, I don't want to go back to work, period. And I had to um, decide, OK, so what's the next step? I always tell people for me, I went through the process of literally saying, Christina, what do you like and mm. not what job you want to have? Because here's the thing, yeah. jobs are being created every day that you don't even know that are being created. So you can't say you want a specific job. Um, it's more so I, I started with, what do I like? And I tell people all the time, I wrote 10 things, tell me 10 things you like. Then I went through those 10 things and I bucketed those and looked for, you know, where there were themes or, you know, parallelism. And that's how I ended up working in sports and entertainment. Um, initially, right after my civil engineering career, I went and worked for ESPN and worked in sports and entertainment. And so, um, so I just wanted to say how you said, tell people to try things. I tell them to go through that process. And when I was talking to students, I saw a bunch of the teachers like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hold up. I don't think many of them had gone through that exercise to even ask themselves, what do I really like? Yeah. You know, and you, and to me, it's, you know, ultimately, I've come to a place that I believe that we ultimately have the same purpose, but how we ex- exercise that purpose is different. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, go ahead, sister. I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, that was that was yeah. good. That was good stuff. I can't complain about that. I want to talk about faith, family, and fulfillment. So, you mentioned that you're a man of faith. You talked about how important your family, um, you talked about even just your family journey and then how important your family is. In, and in the pre-show, we were talking a little bit about your mom and her being there. And I saw all the posting you did about her cooking for Thanksgiving, you know, just to let you know that I am following. <laughs> but, you know, it's like you've come to this place of, you know, we, we're we maturing, we're getting, we're knocking on that half century um, mark here soon. 
um, and and seeing you have more fulfillment and peace in in your life. I want you to just talk about each of those things. You know how your faith and family drives that, and and how did you get to this place of fulfillment? Yeah, you know what? For me, it was going through also the, the jobs and thinking that something externally would be able to fill or fulfill me. Mm-hmm. And that's a journey that a lot of people are on because we we tend to think that it's and it's all it's always happening. They say different level, different devil. Right. But mm. it's always happening. But I remember when I left the music industry, you know, I, I thought, man, this is the job that I've always wanted. I mean, I, I got all the, the, the latest music. I've I've met a lot of the heck. I even turned down Pink. To, to go out with her on, on, a, on a night on the town. Can you believe that? I told the pink, no, that's all right. I, I'm, I'm straight. Like I'm, <laughs> so, but but I wasn't fulfilled. There was still, I remember feelings I would have in my gut, like, like I, this, this is not it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where my journey, my, my spiritual journey started. And it, it was a lot of trial and error, but I do say it was is a call from God. Just some things that happened to people that came into my life who were bold and and challenged me on some things. They challenged me on on what I was, how I was living my life, and asking me those tough questions about the fulfillment. So for me, I, I dove right in. I was one of those people that came in and and for you know that first you know couple of years, I was like a, a Jesus freak type of of Christian where I was out in the projects. I was out in Cabrini Green ministering, knocking on doors. I cannot pray for you and and, and do all of that. That was that foundation because God really brought me out uh, out of a lot of things that that, that were going on in my life. And I'm glad I had that, right? That that foundation. Um, And in that process, it's just spiritual maturing. I I was married and, and, you know, what I realized was if you're not growing together and if you don't deal with the issues along that relationship and depending on what your personality is i had this personality within my marriage that i wanted to keep the peace and therefore i didn't address issues that should have been addressed that's where i say that i failed in 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 that role that i I didn't step up to that conflict because i wanted to keep the peace you know they say if mama ain't happy ain't nobody happy Mm -hmm. well guess what that's also not not necessarily correct, right? Because sometimes you're just appeasing mama and and you're not necessarily confronting and mama meaning the wife, right? Saying, Mm -hmm. hey, we need to deal with this. And and I would say that was the biggest lesson in my marriage that I failed to see or failed to deal with the issues that were going there because we were not on the same page on a lot of things. And I didn't do anything about it. I, I never addressed it. And as a result, it, it led to obviously the end of that marriage, which was the, the most difficult thing I ever had to go through. But in that process, I realized also the importance of being in touch with and embracing your reality. Because many times, even what I was doing for many years was sleepwalking through that marriage. I didn't embrace or didn't look at, hey, this is the reality that you're in. Sometimes it's scary to look at reality in the face, but unless you face reality, you can never have a plan to get out of it because it's an illusion. You're thinking of something else. This is, this is a magical plan because you haven't started from the ground level. Mm-hmm. So for me, having that experience and having to go through a divorce, painful divorce, um, you know, we're talking infidelity, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, what, that, that led to it and, and having to recover from that. And the, the work, that's the other thing is the work that you have to do each and every day, right? The work that you have to do mentally, how you view yourself, what you tell yourself, how you talk to yourself, and then how you recover from it and realize specifically that you are loved, right? That, that, you, are, that, that you are worth something, that you have value, that, yeah, maybe you did some things wrong, uh, but you have value. And once you embrace that reality, that the next chapter that you write in your life can be the, the, the best chapter. So you, you don't have to live in the past. Um, and walking with God and not getting buck wild, because a lot of people, I would say, could get buck wild. And all I kept thinking was, hey, I'm going to trust. I'm going to have some faith. I'm going to trust God on those days that I, 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 you know, I used to think that even suicide was something that I was for weak minded people. But, you know, the thought came to my mind a couple of times. It was that painful. I was scared because I'm thinking I'm going to lose my family, my kids. But in those moments, that's where you press in, right? That's where you could really meet God. And sometimes I feel too that I don't think he was the orchestrator of that, but he allowed that to happen probably to show me something even greater. Uh, There's this book I read, it's, it's, it's called Shattered Dreams. And here's the premise. Sometimes God allows your dreams to get shattered so he can show you the real dream. Mm-hmm. And that was a breakthrough for me uh, because I realized, hey, what is the real dream? And that has really uh, helped me in, in recovering from that and, and obviously moving on now in a, in a divorce co-parenting relationship. But it's my faith in God knowing that each and every day that, that, that he's with me, that, he, that I'm not doing this alone. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I wouldn't want to do it alone. It's too much to carry mm-hmm. alone. And we all know life is too difficult. Um, and, and that has been the key, I would say, for me to uh, for, for having the fulfillment and why I do what I do and encouraging others, because I've also been there um, and, and, and in that pit, if you will. Uh, but also knowing that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that God is faithful in those mm-hmm. moments. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. All I can do is I mean, do don't, don't get me preaching on it. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's Sunday night, so you know, it's, it's a Sunday, Sunday night service. Night. Amen, hallelujah to that. That is, that is so very powerful. And I think, you know, even for you to articulate it. So one of the things is like we say, hey, sister, it's, it's, for, it's for sisters. It's about sisters. It's for sisters, but about sisters and misters. And you know, we've had men on before. And so when when hearing your hearing that from your voice and from your perspective, I think it does so much for people who are going to watch this, who watched live, who are going to watch in the replay, and they're going to be able to connect to what you just shared. And 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 then hopefully it will help somebody along the way and in changing a life. Somebody just look, hand clap. Yeah, thank you for sharing your faith and testimony. So it does make a difference. It's very meaningful. That was powerful. And you're successfully co-parenting, you said, which, and now you got a 13-year-old daughter. Like, I have a 15-year-old daughter. I know what's coming for you and what I'm going <laughs> to now, honey. Listen. All right. Woo! 
You but were it, also a 13-year-old girl. So you I was know. also a 13-year-old girl. But for me, so like, yeah, I was a 13-year-old girl. So I get it from that perspective. But I was not a 13-year-old boy. So with my son, I also kind of went through those changes. Like, okay, wait a minute. So you you can you can understand the boy side because you're like, okay, I, I've I've kind of been on this path diff, different different time, um, but still you understand certain benchmarks along the way. Yeah. It's it's interesting process. <laughs> and you know the, the the thing I'll add to that too maybe that that I, I failed to mention though that also the the healing is in the forgiveness mm. that you know in in the beginning it was just so painful the, the betrayal is just so painful because this is this is this is the person that you think you, has your back so mm. when that person betrays you there is just so much pain there. But the only way that you get through that and continue to get through it is constant forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can forgive is when you when you realize how you've been forgiven. Mm -hmm. Th that's what gives you the ability. I, I don't think it's, it's necessary, necessarily something that humans can do without the help of God. Th that Again, my opinion there, because the cut is so deep, it costs something. And, and I mean, when you talk about evangelism and things of nature, sometimes people say, well, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because it costs something. That pain and all of us, if we've been wronged, if we've been hurt, it, it costs something. It costs something to forgive. Um, but that's that's the, the doorway to the freedom. That's how you are able to grow, because if not, that eats you from the inside out mm -hmm. and you will live from the past. You will not have the freedom. If you don't go there, and it's a process, it's a process. It, you're not. It, it, it just doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. So I, I'm just curious because you have, you know, been sharing your testimony, and it is moving a lot of people. Um, with your relationship with God, I'm just curious. Was there uh, counseling also that was a part of this? Or absolutely, absolutely, okay. big advocate for therapy for mental health. I, and that's the difference, right? Is that I committed to do the work mm -hmm. and you, you have to do the work. Time is not going to heal wounds. Mm -hmm. If time is going to go by, you must do something in the time to heal the wounds. You, you have to do something. Your mind has to, your thinking has to change. And there are, there are things you have to do. So yeah, I was, I was in counseling. Um, and then just my spiritual disciplines. Uh, very important, but absolutely. And a big fan, you know, somebody told me this is funny. They told me this before, but I remember this guy would go to counseling regularly with his wife and it was expensive. I mean, we're talking about 150 a session, an hour. I mean, that, that's not cheap. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but he said, I, I said, man, dude, you, you know, spending a lot of money there. Um, and he said, yeah, I, I still remember this. He said, you know what? It's cheaper than getting a divorce. I mean, you know, he was kind of saying it in jest, but he's like, man, it's cheaper than a divorce. And he's still married, right? But but I saw the value. Sometimes we think even in our communities, and, and I don't maybe I'm just including y'all, but but you know, we think that that oh oh man, you we're like oh now you see a therapist. Oh man, this you know, it's something that we don't talk about or, or you're crazy. We use these kind of words that are not that that are not edifying, that that create the narrative of exclusion. And, and stereotyping, but 
man, it, it, I think now we all, I, I say, you go to the dentist to get your teeth clean, don't you? You go for a checkup. You go to the doctor to get a physical. Why don't you go to, to therapy to get checked up on your mind to see if you're okay? Because there's a lot of things you don't see. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't see everything in and, in and of ourselves. That's why we need a mirror. We need other people to say, hey, give you some feedback here. Hey, did you know you do this? And that's the value of being committed to your development and having professionals to be able to help you and making the investment. Oh, don't get me started here. You got to invest in yourself first. Sometimes you think a, a cruise is going to help you. And it's like, no, you know, sometimes you need to just sit down. Yeah. You and your wife, you need to get on the couch somewhere and you and you need to do some work because that, that cruise is only going to last you for a week or two. You're going to have that same problem again. After that you stepping that on some people's toes out there now, <laughs> Al, when you said that, that that cruise and that the manicure, yeah. the massages going to the spa right. days ain't going to make it, right? You're you, you going to need a little bit more than that. That ain't going to cut it, sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I, I have one more question. And this, uh, so you said you committed to doing the work, yes. which means that you had to have, again, some level of emotional intelligence to know that, wait, something is not right or... Um, Because even the part that you you were able to say, you know, this is what what was my failure in in my marriage. Like, Mama was happy, but I, but it was only because I wasn't saying anything. I was appeasing her. I wasn't actually talking through the problems. So you had to have some level of emotional intelligence to recognize that there were things that you had done. There were the areas where you needed help. I've heard many of my friends and talking to, you know, other people who, who just have husbands who are like, we ain't going to counseling. That just, it's not an option. How do you get someone from that? We ain't going to counseling because your, your friend made a great point. I mean, it, it is cheaper than divorce, but look, there are some folks who are willing to go into the divorce court before they even just say, I want to do this work. Um, so how do you even know or how do you come to the realization that you need to get the work done and you need to do it for yourself? It shouldn't be. A, it shouldn't even be about the other person. It should be about you. I'm sorry. We going way over time. No. <laughs> now I'm just going to eat this candy right here while he answered that question, because I think the bottom line, some people just don't want to look in the mirror. But that's me talking. Ahead, so, I mean, I so you're referring, though, how would I get my partner or, or how do I get me? I, you- how do you get yourself? How do you have this the revelation or how did you have the revelation to say? Because uh, obviously you had a, a faithful, a, a, you had a relationship with God. Yeah. And I'm a, and, and I believe in the relationship with God. But then it also required you to do the work, like you said. But you had to come to the conclusion that I have work to be done. And, yeah, I mean, and your spouse can ask you a hundred times, let's go. But if that person doesn't want to go, they're not going to. So how do you encourage people to evaluate themselves to say, you need to actually go? It begins with embracing reality. And many times, you know, I, this is this is the quote, reality is an acquired taste. Because as human beings, we're programmed or or our whole job is to get away from pain and seek comfort. And sometimes reality is very painful. So we find ways to avoid it, to cope with it so that we don't have to face it. And the reality is, hey, your relationship is dysfunctional. Your relationship is not fulfilling. 
Your relationship doesn't have purpose. Your relationship does not have impact. And that's a hard thing for people to accept. It's almost mm-hmm. like coming to faith, right? Because coming to faith is, hey, you're a sinner, right? In and of yourself, whatever you give is nothing. So I think in your relationship saying, hey, this relationship is going nowhere real fast and you're and it's unfulfilling. And when you finally accept that and then you get in connection with what you mentioned earlier, Christina, what do I want? Mm-hmm. And many times we don't ask ourselves what we want. Because we're on, we're on autopilot. You know, they say 40 to 70% of everything you do is a habit, some kind of automatic behavior. Yeah. So you're going to work, you're getting up, you get up, you go to work, you, you, you're sleepwalking through all of that, and you don't have time to reflect. You only have time to complain, but do any, not do anything about it. So it, I believe that the first piece is you must look in the mirror mm-hmm. and accept where you are. And then determine, do I want to be here or do I want something else? And mm-hmm. if you are a, a person of faith, then you realize, hey, God created me for something much greater than this. Because God doesn't make junk. Mm-hmm. So he's created me for something greater. And I have these skills. I have these abilities to serve in this relationship. But if you never look at that, that's the beginning of personal development. Is You have mm-hmm. to realize, hey, here's an area of opportunity now I can work on it. But if I never look at it, I'll never do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And, it's, right. and it's a hard thing to do. But if you have friends, if you can, I like to say, if you have people that love you, that can be a mirror to you and tell you the truth. And a lot of times we just don't have that. We don't have relationships where people feel safe getting in your face without a tic-tac, as they say. Well, they just don't and a lot safe. of times, but a lot of times, you know, we also have friends that, I mean, you attract who, which, which you are. So yeah, that's true too. We have friends that are going through similar things or they are exhibiting similar behavior. So they really can't call you on your stuff. because. But sometimes folks don't have friends. They're not looking for friends. They're looking for co-signers. And that's a whole nother thing. Because you talk about that when he talked about that red light assessment. So sometimes you look right. for co-signers. So the people who going to do who you need to be going with, you put into the side because right. you want a co-signer. You don't want that real right. friend. Right. And then, and then because you don't want no haters. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the way we put it. Oh, you know, Demetra, she hating on me. You know what I mean? It's like, like she's jealous or whatever. No, no. Uh, and, and we know where we can find the light. I think most of us know where we can find the light. We just avoid it. Yes. Ooh, that's deep right there. Listen, you are the host of the Life Athletes podcast. We want people to go. It's on all the podcasting platforms. You can find it there. You can uh, find him on Instagram at Live Motivator. Um, You can find him on Instagram, on Twitter, ask um, Alejandro C. Ask Alejandro C. on Twitter. You can also find him on Facebook. His full government name, Alejandro Cornejo. He is there. You connect with him. Check out the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Listen in, and 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 get some of this goodness because yes, he does this. And what I love is that what you see here is what you see on all the platforms. It's authentic. It's what you're going to see when he at work every day. That's that That's that true. foundation of faith, that foundation of family, having gone, done his own work. And so that's how he's able to authentically lead others to their best is because he's also done his own work. So I 
Thank you. We could go for another hour probably in this conversation, but I know I didn't I didn't say we we're going to keep you that long tonight. So <laughs> anything you want to say to those who are viewing this live or those who are going to review when they, in the replay, anything you want to say in closing the folks? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I What I like to say is if you're alive today, it's for a reason. And that means that there is hope for something even greater. And, and maybe you've already accomplished, but there's always something even greater. But the fact that you're alive today is proof. So I would encourage you to keep going after those dreams that you have, those, those thoughts, those things maybe that you're afraid of. Just keep going because if you're alive today, there's a reason for it. Absolutely. Well, with that, we're going to sign off. So you hold the line and we're just going to wave everybody, say goodbye. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>